Let us pray. Loving Christ, you call us across to the other side. Be our light and show us the way. Amen. Swimming pools. In the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, flush with exuberance over the beauty of democracy, America built swimming pools, resplendent public swimming pools for entire municipalities and neighborhoods all over the country, where hundreds, even a thousand neighbors could gather, said a Pennsylvania County Recreation Director, let's build bigger, better, and finer pools. That's real democracy. Take away the sham and hypocrisy of clothes. Don a swimsuit and we're all the same. Like with free public grade schools, the aim was Americanization, the social melting pot. It was a grand undertaking until the 1950s when, with the rise of racial integration, people realized that public meant public and everybody meant everybody. And town after town, faced with the prospect of integration, instead drained their pools, literally, then filled them in and paved or seeded them over. The predominantly white municipalities chose to deny themselves this pleasure rather than share it with those who differed from them. Why would we do that? Why would we think that sharing with you means less for me? These are questions that Heather McGee explores in her compelling and beautifully written book, The Sum of Us, What Racism Costs Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together. The Sum of Us, S-U-M, as in zero-sum competition, or as in totality. From this swimming pool metaphor, McGee explores this self-defeating dynamic across the American landscape, public schools and universities, housing, wages, health insurance, and more. At first, devastating, The Sum of Us is a deeply hopeful book, as McGee then illustrates instances of communities building together. The passages in the book which will stay with me longest are where McGee turns subversive and upends the meaning of a good education. What if, she asks, we measured the quality of a school by how integrated it was, rather than by its standardized test scores. When one instance after another, she points to how integration confers a host of tangible educational benefits on all students. There's the obvious boost in cultural competency, a natural byproduct of working and playing alongside people of diverse backgrounds. But students' minds are also improved when it comes to critical thinking. Exposure to multiple viewpoints leads to more flexible and creative thinking and greater ability to solve problems. 
She doesn't say it this way, but Heather McGee has cast a vision of the kingdom of God, of the beloved community. And she presents this vision coupled with a clear-eyed view of how daunting it will be for us as a society to get from here across to the other side. Let us go across to the other side, said Jesus, as they got in the boat together. Now, last week, Joshua told us Jesus was a criminal. I want you to know that Jesus had a plan. A plan, evident in Mark's gospel, to usher in the kingdom of God as an alternative social economy to that of the principalities and the powers of his day by moving out methodically through ever-widening circles of relationship from family to local village and synagogue to regions of difference and beyond. Today's gospel makes sense when we see it in this context as an early step moving from home in Capernaum out beyond. I find the story itself emotionally confusing. At Jesus' behest, the disciples have set out in a boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus went to sleep with a cushion, it says, in the stern. Even as a great storm arose and threatened their lives, do you not care, they complained? And after stilling the storm, he asks, in a manner that frankly does not feel altogether nice, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? A sense of pathos marks this story. The the disciples got into the boat feeling what? Determined? Reluctant? Well, at least faithful. And then feeling increasingly fearful with rising waves, afraid they could drown. Feeling then abandoned by their sleeping teacher and Lord. And feeling, I imagine inadequate in the face of Jesus' response. I mean, but given the imminent danger, it would have been foolish for them to be not afraid. I suppose he expected them to trust that with Jesus they were safe. Why am I afraid? Have I no faith? I'm drawn to Jesus' naming and pairing, coupling together, their fear and their faith, both. Louis Crew was the founder of Integrity, a community within the Episcopal Church that advocated passionately and effectively for the full inclusion of lesbian, gay, transgender, queer, and all persons in the sacramental life of the church. He's a beautiful and devilishly smart man. Louis was fond of citing the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, he would say. And then, with assurance, look out. The meek are getting ready. (laughs) I think 
that with Jesus' help and provocation, that's what's happening on this boat. The meek are getting ready. I think Jesus, with a plan, is preparing the disciples for the hard work of ministry, bringing about the kingdom of God. All that work of of integration, of hard conversations, of running smack into vested interests. Whatever else it takes, it means living in the company of our own fears and faith. This is the first of six stories in which the disciples get into the boat to cross to the other side. In the next story, Jesus will not even be in the boat with them. He'll send them on ahead of him. Now, even though one can see all the way across the Sea of Galilee and make out the distant horizon at the far edge, the communities on the far shores, they were other, not our people. Says biblical scholar Ched Myers, these harrowing sea stories intend to dramatize the difficulties facing the kingdom community as it tries to overcome the institutionalized social divisions between Jew and Gentile. Through this metaphorical action, the community of Christ followers struggles to make the passage to integration. In the ancient Semitic lexicon of Jesus' day, the wind and the sea They are mythic personification of cosmic forces, of chaos and destruction. It's no wonder the disciples are reluctant. All the powers of the symbolic universe of segregation oppose this journey. And no doubt the real-life social hostility to such a project of integration threatened to drown the community. But Mark insists that Jesus will rescue this project and silence the winds of opposition. Within St. Columbus, and within communities of faith across this land, and in cities and towns, in schools, workplaces, and community centers, the meek are getting ready, addressing racism, privilege, housing, Healthcare, rights, access. They're in the boat. We're in the boat, have pushed off from the land, committed to reach the other side. And as the waves swell and the winds mount, the systems maintaining the current balance, those aboard those boats abide with fear and faith. Both. Take heart. With courage, it is for us to paddle and sail and love and propel by any means possible. It is for God to bring about that new Jerusalem, the beloved community. I wonder the ways you are experiencing that coupling of fear and faith within you, the tension and tug of one against the other.
I wonder how this most challenging experience in all its immediate discomfort of going up against the systems may be the very thing you need to be doing for the justice work at hand. I want to reassure you and to bless you in those endeavors where fear and faith meet within you. So I close with a blessing from William Sloan Coffin. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. And grace to remember the world is now too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. Amen.